Welcome to Living Fullness, a podcast where two unusual friends explore all things friendships, relationships, and the Christian life. My name is Dina Constantine. And I'm Father Sean Burns. And each month, we bring you a guest, someone who will share their experience and strengths with us, helping us to learn, grow, and live life to the full. Welcome everyone to our Living Fullness podcast. Uh, we once a month we present you with a, uh, a special guest that we interview uh, and get some insight in a particular topic from. So uh, we have a special guest with us today uh, who has been a, a longtime friend of uh, of Virtue Ministry and also a longtime friend of both Steena and myself. Uh, so it's really awesome to have this person with us. Stina, would you, uh, would you do yes, the honours? Yes, I would love to. So we have Paul Jensen here with us today. He's the Director of Mission and Formation at Centre Care Brisbane. He's also a psychologist, also at Headspace in Brisbane. Uh, and he's been CEO of a couple of organisations, including the one that I currently work at. So I'm stoked. I'm absolutely excited to have him here. Um, he has a background <laughs> in psychology, He's been a family dispute resolution, a resolution practitioner. He's got a business background and a theology background as well. Um, and also he's a husband and a father. And as you said, Padre, a longtime friend of Virtue Ministry. So Paul Jensen, welcome to the Living Fullness Podcast. Thank you. And soon to be a grandfather, Stina. Yes, and soon to be a yes, grandfather. Yes, soon to be a grandfather. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, really yeah, Such really exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> really, really awesome. So I guess maybe to begin with, Paul, because I mean, obviously, Padre and I know a little bit about you. Maybe to begin with, could you start mm-hmm. by sharing sort of in a nutshell, a little bit about your faith journey, but also, you know, how did you sort of end up in psychology? Where's the link there mm-hmm. between your faith and psychology and, and becoming a psychologist as well? Okay. Look, in terms of my faith journey, I started off life actually as a Methodist and as you're probably both aware, a Uniting Church minister, I was ordained, studied theology and really never had really a crisis of faith, but probably what I would call more a crisis of vocation. And that crisis of vocation was more to do with what I would call the philosophical frameworks underpinning Catholicism and I'm hoping I'm not going to lose anyone in this conversation. If I do, please... Uh, let me know, but <laughs> I, Catholicism for me in that journey um, had a philosophical underpinning, uh, a way of knowing, a way of being that I experienced as very robust and able to withstand some of the rigours of contemporary assaults on it. Um, the philosophical framework underpinning Protestantism looked very similar to um, secular, secular life the secular world. And so I began a journey towards Catholicism and um, was received, my, I was received into the Catholic Church uh, Easter Mass 2011 and I had relinquished my ordination in the uh, Uniting Church, which for me was perhaps the most difficult decision of my life, but certainly one that I've never had any regrets about. Mm. It's been a, it was a, it was a, it was a very, it was the right decision for me to make. And um, something that you're probably both not aware of that I didn't share with you is that I'm actually on the um, a diaconal aspirant now and discerning uh, the ministry of the diaconate. 
in automation to the diaconate here in the Archdiocese. Wonderful. So that's the wonderful, uh, that's wonderful, the journey. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm actually very much enjoying that, relishing uh, that experience of discernment. Um, um, so that's a little bit about my faith journey. And I suppose ultimately for me, it you know, it if I could put it very simplistically, it comes down to Jesus and to my experience of God as triune. And and I have I've never been convinced um, by any other position. Um, I haven't been able to. I've, I've continued to be attracted by the person of Jesus Christ um, all my life, mm. and and I have been. There have been other attractions that have come to me, but none as compelling as as the person of oh. Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus. I think um, none as compelling. So that's a little bit about my faith journey and fantastic. How I wound up Thank you. in the Catholic Church. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and how awesome is that? That's that's it's fantastic. It's it's uh, um, you you have a a uh, sort of a um, a interesting story with your journey to the Catholic faith because we we, we don't always um, I guess you know to be a minister in. A different faith, and then to move to 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 another another faith. I mean that that in and of itself is a really big. It's a huge move, you know. I mean that's. Um, mm. um, I mean, if I were to try and stick myself in 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 your shoes for a moment, not that I'm thinking of of transferring to any other religion, <laughs> but but you know it. it <laughs> But it would be enormous, you know. I mean, you've you've made this incredible dedication of 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 your life and service to God in ministry, and then to shift into something different is huge. And there must have been um, one of the, the the topics that we want to come to talk about is is human flourishing and thriving. Mm-hmm. Was there something in the Catholic faith that you saw that made you go? There's going to be some human flourishing here. There's going to be some thriving here yes. that I'm not finding yes. at the moment. Yes. Look, I, I think I think for me, and thanks for the question, Father Sean, I think for me the the um, I experience within the Catholic faith the capacity to form people at depth uh, that I hadn't experienced in the Protestant Church. That that the form, formative formative processes through the sacraments, through the discipline of of the participation in Eucharist and, and uh, the uh, the regular participation, the weekly participation in the Mass, there was something quite liberating about that. As a Protestant pastor, uh, a lot of the emphasis is on the person. It's on their own personal belief, uh, whereas my experience of the Catholic Church was, hey, look, independent of your belief or not, or wherever you're feeling, this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. As a Protestant pastor, when I used to celebrate Eucharist or Mass, the uh, post the institution of the sacrament, according to the Protestant rite, you'd say something like, by your faith, this is the body of Christ. And I found myself right, in terms of right. human flourishing, not being able to um, 
I, I found that draining and exhausting and it wasn't leading to my own sense of human flourishing. But to be able to go to, but to be able to participate in the weekly Eucharist as the body of Christ and for the uh, sacrament to be celebrated and consecrated and then for me to receive it as the body of Christ is a tremendous relief and gives me tremendous um, unspeakable comfort uh, that I hadn't had because prior to that, in, in my experience of that Protestant tradition, it was all up to me. It was all up to my faith. It's all up to how I'm feeling on the day in many ways as to uh, how I experience it. So I found that tremendously, that was just one aspect of Catholicism that I found tremendously liberating. Mm. Mm. That is really yeah. awesome. Uh, and that, that, that the living that that experience of of fullness and thriving uh, comes from the Eucharist uh, is um, well, as a Catholic <laughs> priest that tickles me pink. That's that's you know, <laughs> that's well, that's uh, <laughs> well. I I never fail to get moved by it. I I find myself mm. in every yeah. Eucharist. I am never I oh, never wow. fail to get moved yeah. by. It. There's some mm. there's something mm. about the liturgy. There's something about us moving together as the body of Christ, receiving the, as the body of Christ, receiving the body of Christ. There's something tremendously moving about that for me. Mm. And, uh, we don't do it as individuals. Yeah. Mm. You know, we don't, although we are individuals and we do it mm. personally as we come, but we do so as the yeah. corporate body of Christ. And the, I really love that there's this lack of focus yeah? on, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's that focus on the we hmm. and that uh, strong sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, let's go here for a moment with human flourishing. Um, I think when, when someone hears that phrase, those words, we might have some idea of what that might mean. But just, just for clarity's sake, you know, how would you, how would you define, if you like, for the sake of this conversation, what human flourishing means? Hmm. Look, I think that's a really interesting question because I actually think coming up with a, a working definition of human flourishing is quite difficult because it, it's it's quite a very people talk about it differently and will use different concepts to describe what they mean. But I, I, there was a particular papal encyclical by Pope John Paul II, I think, um, and you're probably aware of it, Father Sean, the pastoris. Uh, Dibo Vobis, um, human oh, yes. formation and human flourishing. And I think while it was specifically targeted toward the clergy, it was also for the lay faithful. And uh, Pope John Paul II identified four areas of human formational flourishing, human, intellectual, pastoral and spiritual. And so for me, human flourishing or formation actually needs to accommodate for all of those four areas. And I think uh, mm -hmm. for me then I would locate into human formation or flourishing uh, self-care. Um, those kind of well-being initiatives that get talked out a lot but don't necessarily have a theological context in which we can approach them or mm -hmm. understand them. So that's how I define human flourishing, you know, uh, and I, 
love the prayer that you had before when we were praying with the saints, Father Sean, and you referenced John, St. John Paul too, and you referenced Irenaeus, you know, the glory of God is, you know, is, yeah. is, is man fully alive. Um, yep. And so I think, I think for me, for man or humans to be fully alive, it's those four dimensions that we need to attend to. Um, mm. Human formation, flourishing, spiritual formation, uh, flourishing, uh, pastoral formation, which takes in a corporate mm. dimension that we were talking about before, and intellectual formation and flourishing. We, mm. we need to feed the mind. We need to be able to challenge the mind. and uh, So that's how I define it. Mm. Mm. Sure. I, I sure. guess then um, a question that comes to mind for me is there's, there's almost like a tension when it comes to self-care um, that I'm noticing mm -hmm. that there's, there might be some ideas that someone might hold around self-care as being necessary and as being good, but the goal of self-care is just for self and there's nothing beyond the caring for self. Um, there's no purpose beyond that. And I guess the tension that I'm finding is that there's, there's, there's that sort of space of caring for self as self care. And then we have another space that says, and perhaps the church would say that actually self care is good. Um, but the end is also then to be able to offer self in love to another. It's not just for self. It's mm. also meant for another yeah. and I guess the tension that I'm finding yes. is that there's there's a scope somewhere in between that says well hang on if we're if we're just self-caring to be able to give away then we're not actually doing mm. adequate self-care so I, I'm guess like what would mm. you think about mm. that tension and maybe we can just sort of have a little bit of a chat about mm. that space yeah look I think that's a really really good point because I I'm thinking about that uh, scripture passage where the uh the scribes come up to Jesus and they're testing him, you know, uh, or the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees, sorry, and they're testing him and, you know, they well, teach you what do you say is the greatest law, what's the greatest commandment? And, of course, you, we know the story well. And Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Mm. And what we've tended to do is forgotten that the wrapped up into those commandments is the inference, the assumption that we would love our neighbour as ourselves. So the prior assumption in is that we must love ourselves. There must be some aspect of self, of being able to esteem the self enough. And certainly for me, I mean, one of the beauties of Catholic social teaching places human dignity, our own inherent human dignity, right. at the heart, I think, of that esteeming. Um, each one of us, we would claim, uh, from Catholic social teaching perspective, has inherent dignity conferred on them not by the fact that they're male, female, in prison or not, but by the fact that they're made in the image of God. And so that inherent, right. for me, that inherent dignity, that sense of self-love and self-esteem, esteeming the self, is is assumed in that gospel passage and it's assumed that it is from our 
sense of self-care and self-love because we are made in the image of God, that we are therefore, we, we can then love our neighbour. Mm. Now, that self-love or that self-care is not purely an altruistic, utilitarian response right. to our neighbour. It's also attending to our deepest ourselves as well, our needs, our our um, mm. our needs, our desires. Because if we're not actually fostering that sense of self-care for ourselves as an inherent good in and of itself, then how can we also then love our neighbour? So, I mean, it's really hard to squeeze and tease apart that tension. They do sit in tension and I acknowledge that. But I, but I think for me it's important not to manage that tension by suggesting, well, the only way I'm going to exercise self-care is so that I can care for others. That's a, that for me is a recipe for burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Longer term. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's yep. a longer term recipe yep. for that kind of that burnout, and at its worst, and it's a most unhealthy expression. It's when we when we adopt the Messiah complex and we believe we can save everyone. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this makes it deeply unchristian. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's it's sort of a, a, a exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's this deeply unchristian thing. It's atheistic in one sense. It, it sort of, you know, it, right. It sort of again, it comes back to that Protestant notion that I was talking about before. Although I've heard it in some Catholics as well, um, that it's all up to me. You know, it's mm. all up to me. Um, whereas if I can yeah. rest in the love of God, rest in that inherent dignity within me, celebrate that within me, I'm able to celebrate it in others, and then that celebration mm. leads to right action. With others, mm. it it flows mm. as a natural consequence. Mm. Mm. Yes, mm. I I guess I was just going to say I guess the flip side too um, with uh, having like an attitude of I need to do it all I need to be able to do all of it by my own strength <laughs> as opposed to relying on God to come through and God to do it. The flip side is also well I can't I can't think about anything that I need. Um, which like you were saying before, recipe for burnout, I can't think about anything I need. Therefore, caring for myself in the way that we talk about self-care in the mental health space, for some can feel selfish, can feel like they're going too far into caring for their own needs first. So I guess, you know, do you have some thoughts around anyone who might be sitting in that space of feeling like all these things that people keep saying, you know, we should be taking care of and I should be doing for myself. I don't have time to do all those things. I've, I've got all of these people to care for and so on and so on. Um, any any sort of thoughts, words for someone who might be yeah. sitting in that camp? Look, I think if, if, folk are, if folk are either feeling that self-care, that they can't prioritise their own self-care, they don't have time for it or they're thinking that it's a bit of a narcissistic um, endeavor. Um, my my encouragement would be again to say, hey, look, to attend to oneself and to attend to one's needs is an act of compassion for the self. And and going back to that scripture reading, um, the act of compassion for ourselves 
rests on God's compassion for us. And if we are unable to have that compassion for ourselves and exercise little, you know, um, prioritise self-care in our lives, it really does become difficult when it's appropriate. And when it comes from a good intent and it doesn't come from an intent to save, it comes from a space of love and compassion to exercise compassion for others or indeed the world in which we live. Our, our Mother Earth, which is, you know, really straining under the weight of a whole range of um, pressures, we, f- we find ourselves disconnected from, from the world in which we live. So I think for me, um, Stina, it's really important that we're able to give time for our own self-care and to exercise compassion to ourselves. Um, as I said, you know, for, for those reasons, and I'd encourage people to, if they can, to prioritise it. Paul, it's it's sort of um, something that you've yeah something that you've said has just sort of um, uh, flicked a switch in my brain, which is um, rare. Uh, but um, uh, if 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 there's a um, if there's a, a it seems as though at the moment um, our society is kind of um, it's it's fractured by the polarity of left and right, uh, and that that that's true even in our own church, um, and in probably in any in any denomination, there's some expression of that, um, and it seems as though uh, sort of off to the right, you've kind of got this, um, uh, it, it's kind of become fashionable to hate on self care. Um, it's kind of become fashionable to be like, well, you know, self-care equals self-love in a, a, um, uh, pagan sense, in a, in a, in a sinful sense, you know, um, a love of self rather than authentic, uh, um, an authentic love. And so it's, it's, um, uh, it, it strikes me that that's, that's sort of, it's become very fashionable to do, uh, and, that raises a whole bunch of problems uh, for me. I'm just wondering if you can, if you can talk to some of that. If if there's somebody who's going well, you know, to love myself is 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 you know self love. To love myself inordinately is wrong. So why would I engage in self care for? Mm. Where would you go to? For yeah. Look, I think I think what we're doing is we're interpreting the lens. We're interpreting self love through the lens of a relatively narcissistic culture. And I think for me, what we've got to do is we've got to abstract from a culture of narcissism what I think is a a biblical and a deeply Christian way of exercising self-care. Um, and it's you know in in a narcissist in a, in a, in our culture at the moment, we are interpreting self-care through solely through uh, an autonomous individual lens. So it's about my self-care, often to the exclusion of others. Um, Mm. But if we if we accept that when we when we're attempting to define self-care and human flourishing, but we don't then critique the, the kind of narcissistic, overly individualized lens through which those two terms get 
past in our in our contemporary culture. But if we abstract it and say, actually, no, self-care is a good, and it's a deeply biblical good, it's a deeply Christian good, but let's practice it in a way that is deeply Christian. And for me, a way to practice that is to recognise that self-care, again, rests on the fact that I'm made in the image of God, that I have an inherent human dignity um, because of that. And therefore, and the basis of my capacity to respond to others at the appropriate time with good intent and right action is the self-care and compassion, self-compassion, that rests on my identity as a child of God. And for me, that's a very, very different conversation that we then have about self-care and practice self-care to self-care understood, as I said, within a somewhat narcissistic culture. And I hope I'm not being unkind, but there are a lot of sociologists like um, Bella, um, Christopher Lash, uh, more recently Robert Putnam, who would talk about our culture becoming well, Bella and Lash both would talk about culture becoming more narcissistic and Putnam would suggest that mm. we're becoming far more atomised or individualised and so that social dimension gets pushed back. And um, yeah. and, and there are other, you know, like Hugh Mackay, the Australian Hugh Mackay, who's written a book called The Kindness Revolution just recently, it was published last year. He's arguing that we've got to be pushing against this isolationism and this narcissism. And so are other authors. And so we, and we need a revolution of kindness. But say Hugh Mackay is um, mm. arguing that out of a broadly, uh, largely secular worldview um, and not accounting for any particular religious tradition, let alone Christian. But I think this is the good news. This is the great news of the Christian tradition, you know, <laughs> that we're invited to love ourselves you know that phrase you know yeah yeah as you love yourself yeah. the precondition for loving your neighbor it's loving yourself right i was going to say if i can't see that i'm made in the image and likeness of god then i cannot possibly see that in yeah. anybody else if i can't see it and appreciate mm. it here then i don't see it and appreciate yeah. it there and it's, it's yeah, also all-encompassing. Like when God calls us to love, he doesn't just call a part of us to love. <laughs> he calls all of us to love. No, so we exactly. can't be excluding <laughs> and expect that yeah, that no, be yeah. the fullness, freeing love that we can offer. Mm. Mm. Exactly. The heart, mind, soul and strength, you know. And when you look at that, uh, they, uh, mm. JP2's apostolic exhortation of Pastoris Dabo Vobis, human, intellectual, spiritual, and pastoral. So it's connected. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. So, look, I would, I would strongly encourage uh, folk to, um, to really, to really um, examine what are the roots of their resistance to self-care. And I suspect... Yeah. I suspect that yeah. for a lot of them, when they did seriously examine, they're rejecting the notion of self-care because it's been interpreted in largely narcissistic terms mm. um, or they're reading it through yes. that lens. And um, mm. um, or, or they may believe yeah. that they're not worthy of it 
Um, yes. Or they yes. may have been formed within a particular Catholic tradition that says, I'm not worthy. And again, I would ask you to examine that mm. and to ask yourself, yeah. what are you saying about God's creation in you? That you're not worthy, even though right. you are in, right. have an inherent dignity conferred on you by God, made in the image of God. Right, right. Yeah. It, it's It's... I always like to draw a distinction between uh, worthiness and worth. So, you know, am I am I particularly um, inherently uh, sort of um, is is there have I in some way earned in any way uh, the goodness and the love of God? No, no, I've not. Not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't deserve God's love. Just you know, in the sense that I've merited or earned it. Uh, but God sees an immense worth in in me, in you, uh, so much so that He sent His Son to die for us. Uh, and it's that 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 image that you were talking about before uh, that that is manifest in each one of us. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is what He sees, and this is what He He uh, He reignites in us, and He does so because He sees great worth. Uh, and if the creator of the universe sees incredible worth within us, well then, you know, who are we to be like, no, <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> That's a really That's helpful distinction. Uh, That's a really helpful distinction, Father Sean. The, the distinction between worthiness and worth. I really like that. And I think, you know, as we're having this conversation then, you know, I use the term worthy. And I think... You know, I could then go back and do some of my own examination of my use of that word worthy and ask myself, was that a bit of a narcissistic lens that I was employing then to think <laughs> about that term? You know what I mean? I think that's just been a beautiful Can't illustration. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful illustration of the yeah. conversation of how then, you know, that, that conferring, you know, that conferring of worth. That's wonderful. I like that. Right. You know, and just distinguishing between that and worthy. Um, mm. Because as right. worthy can become, right. it can be hijacked. The, the word worthy can become right. hijacked. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. As words often are today. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so we've just been having this conversation just then, I think, of teasing apart. Well, how do we tease apart that lens that we've got? How do we. How do we move to uh, to a, a lens that has yeah. more fidelity yeah. to the Christian faith, mm. to the tradition that we mm. stand in? Yeah. There's a yeah, yeah. That's the kind of question that that um, that's really exciting. Part of what's so exciting about that question, and we're slightly <laughs> gravitating towards theology over here. And I'm but do it anyway. You know, do it okay. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jump in. But the the. It's <laughs> the thing that's so exciting is that the amount of 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 like you never fully get to the depths of God. You never fully mm. comprehend the depths of who He is and His glory and His goodness. And so, conversations like this, which sort of you know um, enable us to think in a slightly different way, or enable us to to look at God from a slightly different angle, uh, it, it's 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 a moment of revealing who 
God is and his goodness. Uh, And that to me is so exciting that even in this space, which is so often considered a space of psychology or a space of counseling, that actually if there's a space of counseling or of psychology, there necessarily has to be a space of theology because you're dealing with the human person. You're dealing with someone made in the image of God. Uh, so these these two areas are not mutually exclusive to each other. Uh, and, and I think for, for too long yeah. they've kind of yeah. been pulled apart when in fact they, they ought to be standing side by side, faith and reason informing each other. Uh, this is, is, you know, that's really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, look, I... Well, I mean, you're you're singing you're, you're singing the song sheet that I'm singing from at the moment, Father Sean. I think the um, I think the, for me the, um, the the two the two do inform each other at best. At worst, uh, there can be what I would say atheistic assumptions made in theology, and theistic assumptions made in psychology, and. Um, and it's a really, really interesting conversation to get into, and maybe that could be for another time if anybody's yeah. wrestling with it. But um, yeah, definitely. But I do think. Definitely. But I. Um, but you know, I, I think a lot of the young people that come to see me, um, quite a few of them would be, they've lost what I call a meta narrative. They're wrestling with meaning in life. They're wrestling yeah. with a sense of social isolation and relationship. They're wrestling with what their life's purpose is, its meaning and uh, what are they accomplishing. Um, They're wrestling with a a range of those maladies independent of what we would, um, how we would name it, how we would assess the condition psychologically. They're they're wrestling with a lot of those very real themes. And, of course, you know, my view would be that... um, you know, when I put my Christian hat on, and I'm, you know, my role is not to proselytise as a psychologist, and it would be unethical for me to do that in a counselling setting, mm. in that context. But when I reflect on it afterwards, for me, there's the absence of that story, the Christian story, that really does speak into those situations of mean, those concerns about meaning and purpose and. What can they accomplish and how, how to have meaningful relationships? All of that is part of our story, our Christian story. And yeah. so it has such a rich Absolutely. richness to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think. Yes. That would be my response. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, mm. Absolutely. Well, we'll continue this conversation over on the Patreon section of um, this particular episode. For those of you who would like to um, continue this conversation, join us over there um, where we'll uh, keep having a chat about self-care and having a more um, perhaps holistic and um, a wholesome approach to self-care. We will do that over there. But... Before we finish this episode, as always, we will do a rapid fire round with our guest. Yes. Okay. So just the first thing that comes to mind for you, Paul, and then maybe just say something about that thing. Um, first question is tea or coffee? Coffee. Definitely coffee. I, I need a heart starter first thing in the morning. I love the bitter taste. 
in Brisbane up here, they've got a particular <laughs> coffee called Merlot, and oh. uh, Merlot coffee. I think, I think it it, it actually, <laughs> I think it beats hands down any coffee that I've ever had in Melbourne. Oh, and even it. the coffee nice. shop, nice. I don't know okay. if it's still there. That coffee shop that was in um, the coffee shop that I used to love in Wagga uh, made these lovely buns. It's 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 on Jardines. No, not Jardines. It was um, that made the buns. Some of the priests will know because I, I had coffee with them. there. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you I've ever had coffee with you there, Father Sean. But uh, oh, what's it called? It's it'll come. <laughs> it's it's near the it's near the old Thirsty Crow where the old Thirsty Crow used to be. The pub. Oh, what unique? But anyway, uh, oh, no, no, probably no. All right, that's okay. That's all right. Two notes. Um, What is an aspect of the faith or church that you're interested in? Um, Probably at the moment I'm doing some uh, work on um, mindfulness and what I call apophatic spirituality, you know, the the spirituality of negation. Ah, cool. So the the practice of mindfulness is a very, very common practice in clinical psychology. The Desert Fathers and Mothers in 4th century Alexandria had a practice, a very similar practice of mindfulness. In other words, for yeah. them to under, fully understand God, as we were saying before, sometimes we've got to really let go our assumptions and our perceptions in order to discover more fully who God is for us in mm-hmm. Christ. And that happens, of course, in conversations, but it can also happen in the practice of mindfulness. So I'm doing some work on that at the moment, some, just writing a beginning to write some um, a bit of a paper for uh, my diaconate journey. And I, I'm finding that really interesting. I'm loving going back mm. and reading the Desert Fathers and Mothers and reading what people are saying about the Desert Fathers and Mothers and, of course, Beautiful. then looking at the intersection between the, the clinical practice of mindfulness and psychology and, um, and the Desert Fathers and Mothers' uh, practice of paying attention mm. to and then... And, yeah, but also yeah, the relinquishment yeah. and letting go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, your life gets turned into a biography. What would be its title? Um, I love the title from Cl- Clive James, his, his uh, book, Unreliable Memoirs. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Catchy. Love it. Something like um, that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because memory memory is notoriously unreliable at times, you know. So that would be. Mm. Um, what about what's the most amount of fun that you've had in a single day? I had a ball. I mean, just recently, we uh, my, one of my daughters kept had to keep pushing off her wedding because of COVID restrictions. Mm. And so finally, yeah. finally, we said about a year and a bit ago, we said, "Look, honey, get married, get married here." We got a we got a minister of religion who came and married them um, uh, on our back deck, and so they were married. But we haven't been able to celebrate it publicly, and so oh, we we're able sure. to celebrate it publicly just recently once the final restrictions, because she had it postponed a number of times, and we had such a ball. Because people were waiting <laughs> to celebrate this event that already had happened already formally yeah. <laughs> under Christian rights. She'd been married, but we really hadn't had the opportunity to party. 
And so we were able to party. And that was, that was Love fantastic. It. You know, we just had and having a party as family and friends and lots of people, good food, dancing, wine. It was just brilliant. Aww. And celebrating. The, the, yeah. the, we were able to celebrate that, what had occurred in that formal ceremony um, mm. about a year, a, a year before. Oh wow! So wow. that was that was a lot of fun. I had a ball. Had a ball. Mm. Had a ball. Love it. Um, and the last question for you, Paul, is: What is your favourite way to self care? Look, I think for me, actually, it's the practice of mindfulness and exercise. So mm. I, I, I do have a practice of mindfulness. So before I pray. I'll enter into a mindful space so that my prayers uh, are driven from a different space in my life so I can Mm. hear more deeply the spirit praying within me. Mm. And mindfulness enables me to do that. But exercise, I think, is also really important because that self-care, care care for the body, getting out, doing something that's physically challenging – doing something that I know is good for my body, even though I don't want to drag myself out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. But nevertheless, I know that it's good for my body. I know that I get my endorphins flowing. It helps me think clearer. Um, It gives me more energy. Good self-care produces good self-care. Good energy produces good energy. So it does all Mm. of those renewing, sustaining things. Mm. Mindfulness, exercise. Yeah, love it. Love it. Two and one. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us, Paul. Really appreciate the time that you've taken to share with us and to have this conversation and begin to pull apart some of this stuff with us. So really, really grateful. Pleasure. And for those of you who want to continue listening to the conversation, jump over to our Patreon page and sign up to one of the higher tiers where you'll have access to the conversation that Paul and I will continue to have today. Um, But as always, until next time, know thy love and grace. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Living Fullness. We hope that in this episode there was something useful or helpful or something that blessed your life. If that is the case, would you please consider sharing this podcast with someone, perhaps who will bless their lives too. Please also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that others can find the podcast too. And join us over on our social media, Living Fullness on Instagram and Virtue Ministry on Facebook.